This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. But right now, an inheritance can sometimes include assets that loved ones don't want. Joining us now on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Shane Gornick, partner and certified financial planner at Forefront Financial Planning based in Downers Grove. The website, preparemyretirement.com. Shane, I cannot help but think of that episode of The Simpsons where uh, Patty and Selma, Marge's sisters, uh, inherited an iguana named Jub-Jub from a relative who had passed. Passed away. Now, I don't know how many pets are bequeathed uh, to relatives and wills, but there are a lot of assets that uh, surviving relatives simply don't want and can't handle. Uh, that's absolutely right. And we'll save conversations on Simpsons and passing of iguanas perhaps for another day. But, uh, but with, with regard to that, absolutely. There are certain types of assets uh, that can either create more harm than good or create undue complication. Uh, certain certain assets, particularly ones that are not uh, that are not tied to a trust and that end up going through probates, can create uh, a lot of issues, uh, especially things like real estate in many situations, timeshares, uh, things like that, and what, and businesses. And what is complicated, before we talk about the inheriting a business side of, thing, uh, side of things, you know, what, what is complicated about uh, inheriting a timeshare and, and now trying to either uh, maintain it or get rid of it? Uh, great question, Rob. Well, there, there are different aspects of it that make it different from regular real estate. So first of all, there are administrative fees that... Uh, you're committed to and your heir or heirs are committed to uh, if they end up taking on the timeshare as part of what they inherit. And those administrative fees generally do not stay the same. They generally increase over time. So what you're basically doing is as the person inheriting those assets, uh, you are basically committing yourself to indefinitely paying those administrative fees. Also, if it is something that is split, uh, you might have three kids that you're leaving the timeshare to, but it might have one week or two weeks a year that you can use. So you need to make sure there are clear guidelines as to of the three kids. Do each of them go all? Do they all go together during that one or two weeks? Do they alternate times that they go? Uh, it can create, unfortunately, some family drama in terms of who gets to use what and when. Uh, so it is something that you want to plan ahead of time. We're talking to Shane Gornick, partner and certified financial planner at Forefront Financial Planning in Downers Grove. Some other assets that uh, you may not want or uh, for a variety of reasons, if somebody passes down their collection of guns or maybe they bequeath to you their operating business. How do you get rid of that stuff? Uh, Great question. So with guns, especially with the regulatory environment that we're in, uh, where you can't necessarily just 
legally own a gun. There are steps that you have to go through in order to have it. Uh, for those, we oftentimes recommend getting that sorted out on the front end. So passing those on to the heirs that you want them to go to while you're alive and having that conversation with them to see if, is it something they actually want? Are they, in fact, legally able to have them? Is there paperwork involved in order to do it? Just to make sure that everything goes smoothly when that happens. Uh, now, when it comes to operating businesses, it's an entirely uh, different story. Uh, so you may have uh, a child that's very active in the business. You might have children that are not active in the business. It can be very challenging for a lot of families where there is an operating business where one fam like let's say one of your children is very involved in the business and you have another child that's not. Well, how do you keep things equal? Uh, maybe you leave the business to the one child that's active and you leave other assets specifically to the other so that things are still fair and relatively equitable, uh, but having each thing split up equally uh, could, could create more harm than good. Shane Gornick, partner and certified financial planner at Forefront Financial Planning in Downers Grove. Find him online at preparemyretirement.com. Thanks for joining us today. Compounding your interest with an economy of words, this is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Northwestern University is offering to modify its plan for a new Ryan Field in the face of opposition from residents of Evanston and neighboring Wilmette. Let's get the latest now from Bob Reed, business writer and contributor at Chicago Magazine. Bob, thank you for joining us today. Wilmette already said officially that they are opposed to the plan to expand Ryan Field and bring in new concerts. They have registered their discontent with the Evanston City Council. Northwestern going back to the table saying they're going to modify things a little bit. What are those modifications? Well, Northwestern is trying to show that it is bargaining in good faith and taking the community's concerns uh, seriously. And one of their big concessions is that they are willing to do up to six uh, concerts uh, at the rebuild uh, stadium. Originally, they wanted 10. In addition to that, they're going to uh, reduce the number of smaller events that they're going to have uh, there to like uh, 60 days per year. Uh, they're signaling this because they want to show that they hear what the community is saying about the concerns they have about the rebuild. One more thing, for the city at large, the university is guaranteeing a minimum of $2 million in annual tax and fee revenue to Evanston. And it's also talking about a uh, $500,000 in revenue to support the Evanston Public Schools. All of this is coming because there's been a huge backlash against the stadium by immediate neighbors, but also uh, citywide organizations, too. Now, there, there are some things that make uh, Ryan Field unique among football facilities in the Big Ten, uh, starting with the infrastructure to get there. You have to get to the stadium on city streets. It's, it'll be 30 years in 2026 uh, since the former Dyke Stadium got a complete rebuild, thanks to Pat and Shirley Ryan. And on top of that, there are high school football stadiums in Texas that would put Ryan Field to shame. Well, you can make an argument that the place is kind of falling apart and that it needs to be rebuilt. But the concern is, how do you rebuild it? Do you have to have these uh, concerts there and, in essence, make it a for-profit entity within a non-profit structure? That's a big concern. The other big concerns are noise, traffic, parking, and the sheer size of the facility, 
which is bigger than like the United Center and the Allstate Arena. And this is what has the neighbors concerned about what is going to be plunked down there, because it is a generational change. Once this thing gets up and running, there's no turning back. As a result, they have been lobbying very hard with uh, Evanston officials to make sure that they hear their arguments. And uh, both of these parties, Northwestern and the community, are trying to make their case that this is good for Evanston and the city council is going to be in a really tight spot having to make a decision. When it's all said and done, do you believe that Northwestern will prevail or will the neighbors in Evanston force Northwestern to look elsewhere maybe to uh, have a football facility? Well, this is my opinion, but at the uh, beginning of this process, I would have given Northwestern the edge. Uh, Now I think the community is coming back very strongly. Uh, There's a good possibility that it will not progress But I have to say that you can never underestimate a powerful institution like Northwestern, whose tentacles run very deep, not only in Evanston, but throughout the region. So we're going to have to wait and see how this can be uh, hammered out. Maybe there's a compromise that can be made. But if it's only what Northwestern is offering right now, the opponents aren't going to back away. Bob Reed, business writer and contributor with Chicago Magazine. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, mortgage rates soar to a two-decade high. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Mortgage rates are at a high not seen in more than 20 years. Let's discuss the market for home loans and where it may be heading with Rick Sharga, founder and CEO of the C.J. Patrick Company in Orange County, California. Rick, thank you for joining us today. Uh, the a mortgage rate for a 30-year fixed, Rick, is now kind of hovering in the in the, in the range of 7%. Uh, if you're in the market for a new home, should you hold out and hope that it goes down? Well, the, the rates will go down eventually. Um, and, and there's a lot of speculation that once the Federal Reserve stops raising the Fed funds rate, they'll come down sooner than later. Uh, but what you have to weigh that against is the idea that home prices are continuing to go up. Uh, and, and those mortgage rates, even when they do come down, will, will come down very slowly and very gradually. So if you can find a house that, that you can actually afford at today's mortgage rates, uh, you're probably better off uh, taking the plunge now uh, and maybe having the opportunity to refinance at a lower rate when mortgage rates do settle back down. We're talking to Rick Sharga, founder and CEO of the C.J. Patrick Company in California. What determines the mortgage rate? I mean, you know what the federal funds rate is. It's above 5% right now, but where does that extra 2% come from? (laughs) Uh, That's a really good question. Uh, And and usually the the 30-year fixed rate mortgage is based on yields on a 10-year U.S. Treasury bond. And the bonds markets I've been in a little bit of turmoil recently because of, of what the Federal Reserve has been doing with the short-term rates. Uh, so, so right now, the, the, the yields on those 10-year bonds are a little over 4%. Normally, that would give us a mortgage rate of about 6%. So that, that extra point that we're seeing in the mortgage rates right now is really because the market's pricing in a lot of risk and volatility until they figure out that the Federal Reserve has finally stopped raising rates uh, and, and then things will start to settle down. And then there were some changes in the uh, tax bill passed six years ago when it came to the amount of mortgage interest you can write off. Uh, can you mm-hmm. still write off the entire amount? You can write. You can write off the entire amount up to a point. If if you have a mortgage, I believe over a million dollars, you you can't write everything down. But your best bet, really, if you're looking at at, at the tax advantages of home ownership. Uh, is to talk to a, an accountant. Uh, talk to somebody who's 
familiar with with both state uh, and federal tax laws and and see what your options are there. Now, some people uh, who've been around the block a couple of times and may have entered the housing market in the early 80s can talk about how their first mortgage was maybe 18% or somewhere in that range. And so they probably even hear 7% and chuckle. Historically speaking, 7% isn't all that unusual. 18% was an aberration. And I'm one of those people, by the way. But the, the thing you have to keep in mind and put it in context is, when you were paying a 10, 11, 15, 18% mortgage rate, your house probably cost you $50,000. And the median home today is selling for something north of 450000 So it's a little different world than what we grew up in, uh, in in those higher mortgage rate days. Rick Sharga, founder and CEO of the C.J. Patrick Company in Orange County, California. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Entrepreneur Friday, finding a sweet spot in Chicago's Pilsen neighborhood. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station. News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Rehearsals are underway this afternoon ahead of this weekend's Air and Water Show. A resignation is tendered in the aftermath of deadly wildfires in Hawaii. It's Entrepreneur Friday. We meet the owner of a Chicago pastry shop that's looking toward expansion as it celebrates its 30th anniversary. And a child's education should feature some lessons on finance, including on how to use a credit card, WBBM business. The markets are mixed. The Dow is up six and a half. The NASDAQ is down 53. The S&P 500 is down eight. We have 74 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies at 1231, topping our news at the half hour. Final preparations are underway for this weekend's Chicago Air and Water Show. Staff Sergeant Nahu Ramirez, a member of the U.S. Army Golden Knights Parachute Team, says they have new equipment, which makes for a better performance. The canopy ride roughly takes about 30 seconds depending on how fast we want to go. The more sometimes the faster we make these parachutes go earthward gets the crowd excited and they start cheering and then we get pumped up and it's just a a great time. Join us for a special coverage of the Air and Water Show tomorrow and Sunday right here on WBBM. Maui's head of emergency management, Herman Andaya, has resigned after being questioned about his decision not to activate emergency sirens as wildfires began. More from CBS News correspondent Jonathan Vigliotti. CBS News has learned that the island's emergency management administrator wasn't on Maui but was attending a conference on an entirely different Hawaiian island. Island. On Thursday, Maui County's mayor accepted Andaya's resignation, saying in a statement, given the gravity of the crisis we are facing, my team and I will be placing someone in this key position 
as quickly as possible. President Biden will be in Maui on Monday for a first-hand look at the wildfire damage. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are mixed today. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line reminding you to bring your business home is Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at macrotides.com based in San Diego. Jim, thank you for joining us today. And it's you don't have to be much of an expert on the stock market to know that it's in a bit of a summer swoon, uh, shaping up to be its worst week since March. Uh, what are some of the factors at play here? Well, my expectation a few weeks ago, Rob, was that we were going to see Treasury yields move higher, in part because of uh, the Japanese uh, central bank's decision to increase the ceiling on their tenure from 0.5% to 1%. The Treasury then said that they were going to be increasing the amount of bonds being auctioned during the fourth quarter significant pardon me third quarter significantly and then technically it just looked to me like tech uh, the 10 year and 30 year were going to be pushing higher potentially up towards the highs we saw last October the conclusion was that that would pressure mega cap stocks and lead to a 5 to 7% correction so this has kind of unfolded as expected uh, yesterday i did an update where i noted that the market was pretty oversold we were due a bounce and as we've seen from after gapping lower this morning, you know, the market has indeed bounced. But I'm not sure it's clear sailing, Rob. I think after this bounce, we're likely to see some more selling pressure come in. As a uh, civilian who uh, may not be familiar with the ins and outs of the bond market, what kinds of signals uh, do does that, mar- does that market send when you hear about uh, Treasury yields uh, hitting their highest level since 2011 or the 10-year note notching its best return since last October? How do you interpret that information? Well, historically, the valuation of the stock market, namely the p- price-earnings ratio, the more interest rates go up, that causes the P-E ratio to compress. So what we saw last year is Treasury yields went up, the P.E. ratio got compressed from 20 down to 15. And then, as we've seen since last October, we saw a nice decline in Treasury yields, and that enabled the market to rally. So that's the mathematics behind how, how do you value a dollar's worth of earnings and give it a P.E. ratio? It's tied to what's happening with Treasury yields. China is having a little bit of a, a real estate crisis right now, and that is serving as a big damper on growth as that country reopens. What are some of the worldwide repercussions of that real estate crisis? Well, I think global real estate values got absurdly high, Rob, as the the Fed and other central banks around the world kept interest rates uh, extraordinarily low, you know, kind of like the reverse of what we just talked about in terms of the stock market. Same thing kind of applies to real estate. You value the cash flow from properties based on the level of interest rates. So what we're seeing in China is, you know, first there was the expectations coming into this year that, oh, they're going to reopen. It's going to be great for global growth. And what's happening in China is consumers aren't spending. Home values are actually declining. And the Chinese have more of their, if you will, their asset base into real estate than anywhere else in the world. So the spillover effects, uh, I I think, are just real estate values, I think, are going to continue to be a problem, particularly commercial real estate as we get into next year in terms of the United States. So it just underscores when you see a huge shift in interest rates, Rob, assets have to be revalued, and that's what's happening in China. 
We're talking with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at MacroTides.com based in San Diego. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Entrepreneur Friday, taking an established Chicago pastry shop to the next level and establishing another location. Money Talks, as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. See, it's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon we're spotlighting a longtime Chicago pastry shop that's working toward the opening of a second location. We welcome in Esther Griego, owner and managing partner of Bittersweet Pastry Shop. You can find it at 1114 West Belmont, and a new location in Pilsen in the southwest side will open this fall. Esther, thanks for joining us today. Now, when you came into the Bittersweet Pastry Shop, in 2015, you were coming into an established business. It opened in 1992. It was uh, just celebrated its 20th anniversary when you took over. And when you come into an established business like that, uh, what are some of the challenges and what are some of the possibilities uh, that you were facing when you uh, took over an established business? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, So as far as Opportunities seem endless sometimes when you're taking over an established business. You already have a built-in clientele. You have, you know, predictable cash flow, accounts receivables. You know, you know, kind of know what your sales are going to be so that you can you can really plan. But the challenges are you don't know how, how the business was run before you took it over. And so there's a lot of things that you can discover when you come on board that maybe you weren't planned, didn't plan for, weren't prepared for. Um, that would be definitely some of the challenges. So. And then when you come into you know a pastry shop in Lakeview, I mean the, the mm-hmm. pastries have been evolving rapidly over the last couple of years. Just what people can do with pastries, and of course there's now an entire you know genre of of reality TV about uh, pastry chefs and pastry cooking. So you have to stay on top of that. But what's the balancing act between trying to evolve an established business and also making sure you don't chase away people who enjoyed the, the the things it was already offering? It is a very tough balancing act because we have this huge catalog of recipes that have been made now for over 30 years. And there's always something that someone is missing that they, you know, they were really looking forward to getting. But you just have to kind of weigh that against your, your numbers. How many people are asking for that one thing? You know, how many are you actually going to sell? And you know, and and make some make some hard choices for sure, but hope, hopefully you still retain the soul and the spirit of the business. We're talking to Esther Griego, owner and managing partner of Bittersweet Pastry Shop in Lakeview and soon to open in Pilsen. Esther, what was the thought process about expanding to Pilsen? I mean, I know a lot of uh, of of national real estate publications have uh, referred to Pilsen as maybe the next Brooklyn, the place where uh, all the hipsters are moving into. Uh, did that inform your decision at all? A little bit. Um, when we opened up Belmont in 92, you know, Lakeview wasn't what it is today. And I feel like it just made sense for us to open in a place that, you know, has a lot of, of, of growing to do. And we just really are excited to be a part of that and, and hopefully bring a lot of enrichment, you know, what we can to the neighborhood. Uh, we're really we're really grateful to be able to be there. So now, Pilsen is is a very interesting history of different ethnicities. Of course, it was a Czech neighborhood at the very when it, many years ago, and then for a long time, it's been a Mexican neighborhood. And obviously, the pastry shop has its own things and its own its its own menu that makes it unique. But are you doing anything to incorporate local flavors into the Pilsen location? 
Absolutely. Um, we actually are tapping a few Mexican chefs to help us update some some bread and some pastries that we're going to be bringing to Pilsen. I can't quite give too many details right now, but I'm really excited to be to be launching that when we open Pilsen. So. And, and and the shop opens in September. Uh, kind of just describe your mental state right now as you make the final preparations <laughs> toward opening day. Oh, you know, a million miles an hour and things are not still moving fast enough. So, um, you know, we're, we're every day working towards it, but you, it's just one day at a time. So. Well, thanks for joining us. Esther Griego, owner and managing partner of the Bittersweet Pastry Shop in Lakeview and soon to open in Pilsen sometime next month. Still to come, helping teenagers learn to handle credit. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Teaching kids financial responsibility includes helping them obtain and properly use a credit card. Let's get some tips from Ted Rossman, industry analyst with CreditCards.com, based in New York. Ted, thank you for joining us today. And we talk about kids and credit cards. What is the average age in which a person receives their first credit card? You know, I'm not sure the precise average. I know that it's gotten much harder before your 21st birthday, because when the CARD Act went into effect in 2010, they set 21 for the most part as the age at which you can get a card in your own name. Technically, you could do it as early as 18 if you can prove sufficient income. But for the most part, we're talking early 20s. It hasn't always been that way, of course. A good workaround, though, is to add your kid as an authorized user on your credit card. I suggest doing this as early as about 16 or 17. I like the idea of starting early so that your kid builds credit, maybe even before college and before technical adulthood, um, but also while they're still living at home and they can still learn from you. And what are some of the lessons they can learn about using a credit card responsibly and that it's not just uh, it's not just free money. You have to pay that off eventually. And if you don't pay it off on a month by month basis, it could become onerous. That's so important. Yeah. My kids are eight and two and they're not authorized users just yet. But I still think even with really young kids, it's important to talk about how Credit cards are not magic money. I mean, I'll say that to them sometimes if we're at the grocery store or something and I dip my card into the machine. It's like, you know that we have to pay this back, right? Um, Oftentimes with young kids, they understand more bills and coins. But increasingly, digital payment methods are the way of the world. I think certainly by the teenage years, I think it's really important to integrate credit cards and mobile apps into the discussion. I mean, it's easier. It's how these kids like to transact. But there are a lot of studies that show that people spend more when they use cards and apps because it's frictionless. Whereas with cash, there is sometimes this physical pain associated with parting with the bills and coins, not to mention you have to actually have them on hand. I mean, most people don't even carry that much cash nowadays. So to think of like going to an ATM and loading up, um, that's not something that a lot of people are doing all that often. Um, But yeah, I love the idea of starting in the teenage years with using cards and apps because kids need to learn that. Ted Rossman, industry analyst, creditcards.com, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at wbbmnewsradio.com and the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.